scripture for, pre, for reading for us. We'll keep our Bibles open at Acts chapter 2. And today I want to talk to you about a happy, healthy, and holy church. Let's pray for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we remember times when we bowed like this and your Holy Spirit came and just enlightened the word and warmed our hearts and made everything come real to us. We pray that as we deal about, as we talk about this tremendously important topic today, a church, a church that is happy and healthy and holy, that you will speak to our hearts and bless us on this special day as a new minister is introduced to this congregation. Bless us, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. You know, I read the other day an advert on my computer that said this, how to turn your simple idea into an unforgettable novel. And every now and then I read about people who've had these wonderful ideas that they've been able to turn into fortunes. And I'll, I'll never be able to do that because I'm very short on ideas. But you know, the greatest institution in the world is the Christian church. And the Christian church has been around for thousands, a couple of thousand of year, years in its, in its current state. And before that, even in the Old Testament days, God's people were there. And God had a great plan which finally resulted in what we have got today. And there's even better things in store for us. And this, the greatest institution on earth, the Church of Jesus Christ, is something that did not start with an idea, but rather it started with a plan. Do you see in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 23, it says this, this man talking about Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. God's set purpose or plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And so what we belong to is a, an institution that was in the heart of God before the world even began. And I want to suggest to you today that in these verses that have been read to us, what we've got here at the end of Acts chapter 2 is a picture of a church, of a gathering of people. These were groups of the newest converts. And of course, many sermons have been preached on them. We've listened to lots of them. But this is the only picture we have of the ideal church, the only picture we have in the New Testament of a church as it ought to be. In the rest of the New Testament, we have all kinds of teachings about churches that are full of problems that need to be sorted out. But here is a church that is happy, a church that is healthy, and a church that is holy. And what I've done is taken out of this passage five great principles that I think are necessary for us all to enjoy the benefits of a happy, healthy, and holy church one that I believe that all of us will benefit from and that the whole town will benefit from. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ was delivered up according to a divine plan. And by that, the scripture means that God gave Jesus up to the death, his death on the cross. And although he knew about it, he had planned that way back in eternity. 
and he was crucified, and he was killed by the hands of lawless men. And from then on, we have references to Jesus that ultimately results in this tremendous picture of a church that we have at the end of Acts chapter 2. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, we have that little paragraph that is headed in your Bibles from verse 42, the fellowship of the believers. And I want to mention just five things to you that I think are tremendously important for us to have a happy, healthy, and holy church. And the first is this, that the church that we read about at the end of Acts chapter 2 was focused on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross was the thing that kept this church motivated and going because it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. But what apostles' teaching did they devote themselves to? They did not have the letters to the Romans. They did not have the letters to the Corinthians. They did not have Ephesians. They did not have Colossians. They did not have Timothy. They did not have the book of Revelation. They had none of the New Testament that we've got today. So what was the apostles' teaching that these early Christians devoted themselves to? Well, you must remember what the apostle Peter said to them. Peter said to them that, let all Israel be assured that this God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It was the crucified Savior, now made Lord and Christ, that this church was devoted to. It was this great Savior that this church was devoted to. But I want to remind you that it's not just Jesus that the church was committed to. It was Jesus crucified. There are many people today in many churches who will tell you that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just believing in the Lord Jesus Christ in that general sense. Unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ crucified, you will never get to heaven and never be saved. And the church will never be blessed. And so what was lifted up in this church in the apostles' teaching was the idea that all of the teaching of the Old Testament culminated in the coming of this great Savior who finally went to the cross. And there he died, the Messiah died. The Christ died for us and he bore the sins of the whole world. And when he bore the sins of the whole world, he took away our guilt and he made it possible for us to live in fellowship with God again without always looking for some way to make ourselves acceptable and to make ourselves good before God. No, he made it possible for us to be forgiven. He made it possible for us to be justified. He made it possible for us to be reconciled to the great God of heaven and earth. What a Christ we have. What a savior we have. Now the world will be very content to believe in Jesus Christ if it wasn't for his cross. Do you know that every religion in the world has an objection to the cross of Jesus Christ? And every person that you know who is not a Christian or belongs to some other faith has got no objection to religion in a sense and no objection to God in a sense and no objection to Jesus in a sense, but it is Christ crucified that is the problem. It is the crucified Christ because when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, what that was saying was is that the world is guilty before God and that guilt has got to be atoned for. It's got to be paid for. And I will do that on the cross, says Jesus. And so spread eagled on the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ 
pays the price for the sins of the whole world. If you can take in your mind's eye, just for a moment, just, just in the realm of fantasy for a moment, take a picture of the crucified Christ and put him over a picture of the globe, of the whole globe of the earth, and let his arms be outstretched as you superimpose him over the globe of the earth. And look where his head is with his, the crown of thorns. It's up in the north because his eyes are looking at all of those lost people in those icy cold regions and saying, I'm seeking for you. I'm seeking for you. Look where his hands are. They're stretched east and west. It's like he's reaching out for all the people in the farthest reaches of the earth with all of their wars and struggles and battles and unhappinesses and saying, I want you, come to me, come. And he's beckoning to them to come to him. And look where his feet are. His feet are down in the south. And his feet are saying to the people in the south, I will be walking toward you so that you can come and belong to the Father as well. And where is his heart? Why his heart is over Africa? The bleeding, broken heart of the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I bleed for you too. The whole world is welcome to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and to find hope in him before God. And it's this crucified Christ that the apostles preached about. And it's this crucified Savior that brought such great joy into the hearts and the lives of this early church. It was Christ crucified. And that made the early church a healthy, happy, and a holy church. And as long as you stay in your mind, as long as you stay in your heart, as long as you stay in whatever you hear in your, in your, amongst your friends or in your university classes or wherever, as long as it's close to the cross of Christ, you will be safe. But the moment people start taking you away from the cross of Christ and taking you into other directions, you will be in danger's way. You will be in harm's way. And so it's the crucified Christ that takes away our sins and makes it possible for us to know God and to have hope for the future. That is what makes for a healthy and a happy and, and a healthy and a, and a happy church. And now the second thing I want to point out to you is this: that not only is the crucified Christ the foundation of the church, but there was a consistency in the church's life because we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and, and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and all believers were together and had everything in common. And so these people stuck together there was a consistency in what they believed and a consistency in how they lived. And they loved each other. They cared about each other. And the doctrine of the crucified Christ held them all together because they realized that all of them were the recipients of great grace. All of them, no matter who they were, they all received the grace of the same Christ. And so they loved each other. They were concerned about each other. And it says in verse 44, all the believers were together and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and their goods. So they received forgiveness from this Christ, according to verse 38. And they received the Holy Spirit from this Christ, according to verse 38. And then they received a promise for the future, according to verse 39. So these people were people of hope 
because they received not only forgiveness, not only the Holy Spirit that the Apostle Peter promised them when they said, what shall we do? But he said, well, I will even give you hope for your children. There's something better to come. And so these people were caught up with the wonder, with the absolute wonder, the miracle, the absolute unthinkable wonder that Christ should come from heaven to die on the cross for us. And so they loved each other and there was a consistency in their love for each other. They broke bread, they had fellowship together, they prayed together, they shared all they had together. And according to verse 46, they were filled with hospitality toward each other. Oh, how we need to relearn all of these basic fundamental things again and see them as an evangelistic tool for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were happy, according to verse 46. They were filled with joy every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was a gladness in them and a sincerity in them. My dear friends, it's the most, it's the most contrary thing in the world to meet a Christian who's unhappy. Do you know that? Now, I do not mean by gladness and happiness, the superficial happiness that the world offers. Because you don't have to be a Christian to be happy in a superficial sense. But when you've met the God who sent his son to die on a cross for us and you've met him personally and you've come to know him and received the hope that he gives, he puts something into your heart which defies <clears throat> human words and human explanation. And there's a sense of joy which is not explainable. You can't actually explain it to anyone else. But there's a gladness in our hearts. And there is a sense that we truly belong. And there's a sincerity of heart that comes because we know we belong to the one who can never fail. And so here was this happy, here was this healthy, and here was this holy church. This church was concerned about the cross of Christ. This church was concerned about consistency of living. But now I want you to notice also in the third place that a happy, healthy, holy church is also concerned with compassion because in verse 47, this is what we read in verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, why did the Lord add to their number daily those who were being saved? Because, it says in the scripture, they had the favor of all the people. This was the church that had a good reputation, a church that was in favor with everybody, a church that loved everybody, had compassion upon everybody. A church that was glad to be alive, glad to be able to meet, glad to share what they had. And when the people saw the way these people opened their homes and sold their goods and shared their provisions, they found favor with all the people in the city of Jerusalem where they were meeting at the time. And so many of those people were one to that savior that that church represented. So it was a church that was filled with compassion. But then I want you to notice in the fourth place that this church also was a church that was used to people being converted. So here were people who saw this church in action and it says in the scripture that, then, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Now, why were these people attracted to this church? Because they saw the real thing. And don't you think that part of the problem that we have today is that many people no longer see the real thing in our churches? They don't hear the real message in our churches. Nobody tells them about a God who loves them so much he sent his son, and also a God who is so holy that he will hold them accountable if they reject his son. They don't hear that anymore in their churches too much today. There's a tremendous amount of waffle, tremendous amount of long sermons about obscure passages of scripture that people think we're interested in. We're not interested in that. We've come out of a heavy week and what we do is come to church and what we want to hear is the voice of God. We want to hear God speaking into our hearts. We want to hear him speaking into our minds, into our needs. We want to hear a church that has got some credibility to it and many of these people who lived in the surrounds of that church came into the church because they saw the credibility of the church on a daily basis. A church that was committed to the teaching of a crucified savior and a church that was committed to each other and a church that was filled with compassion and a church that finally reached his arms out to people who were not Christians and many of them came to embrace the truth that the church embraced because they saw reality there where they saw it nowhere else. Now, the last thing I want to mention to you this, though is this. I want to go back for a moment, and I want to go back to verse uh, 42 and say this. In verse 42, we read that this church that was so happy and this church that was healthy and holy, a church that attracted people to, didn't drive people away, but brought them in to hear what they were saying and brought them in by their sheer love and compassion. This church, it says, they were devoted themselves to, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now, I want to pause for a moment to talk about the creed here, because this is a church that was not only committed to the cross and not only committed to consistency and not only committed to compassion and conversion, but it was committed to a creed. And that creed was what the apostles taught. Now, I want to say this, that when Grant gets up in this pulpit to preach, he's got to preach to you the creed of the apostles. He's got to, in other words, he's got to teach you what the apostles taught. He's got to teach the scriptures to you. And you've got to hold him accountable for that. You've got to listen to him and say, that is the scripture. And if he goes off track, then you've got to point that out to him. And when Lilibet gets up to teach any of the ladies' groups or does anything amongst you, the same is true. They've got to hold to the creed, and you've got to hold them to the creed as well. And why do I say that? Because, my dear friends, we all have our own creeds. We all live by some rules in our own lives. But the only rules, the only creed that will do our souls any good, that will do our inner lives any good, is a creed that is based on the truth and the great truth that the world ignores and the world hates, that the world absolutely rejects, is the idea of a Christ crucified which somehow makes me accountable whether I want to be or not. I don't want to belong to that group of people, but when I hear of a Christ crucified, it makes me feel I ought to. It makes me feel there's something wrong. And so the creed has got to be the right creed. And your minister has got to preach the creed 
and his wife and all of his family and all of you teaching the church, all of you are part of the team, you've got to preach the creed of the apostles so that people will be saved. You want your church to be happy? Then preach the scriptures to them. You want your church to be holy? Preach the scriptures to them. You want your church to be healthy? Preach the scriptures to them. And the starting point for a happy and a healthy church is a happy and a healthy Christian. And a happy and a healthy Christian is one who has said, I am leaving the things of the world behind. All the philosophies, all the thinking of the world, I'm leaving my doubts behind and I'm going to put my faith and my trust in this crucified Savior. And I'm going to be part of a happy, healthy and a holy church for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the sake of this town. Now, it may be that some of you sitting here today have never yet actually crossed that line, that invisible line that brings you into the presence of God. And maybe today, as we come to the end of the service, you've got to think about that. You've got to say to yourself, do I really belong to the Lord God of heaven and earth? Do I belong to the Lord Jesus? Am I really part of the living church or am I just a nominal member? Am I just a, a sentimental member of the church or a cultural member of the church? No, that won't do. That won't bring the reality of heaven into your heart. It's when you embrace Christ crucified and risen again from the dead. Christ, the Son of God who paid for our sins and forgives you for your sins. When you embrace him, you enter into a spiritual reality that will never go away and will draw you further and further into the joy and the light of the heart of God and help you to make this church a happy, healthy, and holy church. And maybe this is the moment when you ought to, in your mind, cross the line and say, I'm leaving behind the old half-hearted life and I'm crossing the line to give myself wholeheartedly to Christ the Savior. Now let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into this world to save us and then to draw us into groups like this, into churches like this. And then we thank you, Lord, that you raise up people who can instruct us and teach us and so we pray that as the years go by, this church will flourish under the teaching of the word of God and the exposition of the scriptures and the lifting up of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for anyone in the church today who may have felt that they've got to make a wholehearted, a wholehearted commitment to Christ that this morning may be an impetus to them that they may do so and discover a new life for themselves. We commit the future to you. We commit the coming months, the coming days, coming years to you and pray for your holy blessing upon this church. And we pray, Lord, that whatever may be said about it, that this church will always be a happy, healthy, holy place to be. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.